Um, but on uh, Sunday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, uh, we are going to be making a slight change in our service times, bumping everything up about 15 minutes. So on the count of three, we can all just collectively groan, okay? One, two, three. Oh, right. Uh, and the reason for this is, number one, our 9.15, 10.45 service times were when, way back in the day, when we had an 8 a.m. Uh, legacy service, which hasn't existed in like seven, eight years. So it's been a while for there. On top of that, um, uh, our service is continuing to grow. And so we're hoping that this 15-minute change is for some of the first service people for like 9 a.m. to seem like way too early. Like, I can make it by 9.15, can't make it by 9 a.m. And so I'm going to come to the later service. And hopefully, that the, this service, the 1030, uh, makes it spe- seem like you're not getting out uh, around noon. So hopefully uh, just, just trying to help bring some balance. As our auditoriums continue to fill up again, uh, we'd love to see more people coming and hanging out with you guys. Second service, you guys are my favorite service. Don't tell first service that. Um, but if you have any problems um, or like issues with that, you can email me. Um, my email is samuel at fcc-online.org. Would love any of your complaints about that change. Um, you know, this week I saw this video or this uh, post about somebody who uh, showed that there was a, a, a restaurant that gave their family a discount for well-behaved kids. So maybe you saw this post, but they, they posted uh, this and said, you know, we save five bucks because of well-behaved kids. Now, uh, the Friedman family wouldn't know what that's like to get that discount, uh, but it kind of started this like rabbit hole for me to start finding out there's all these different things that people put on receipts that I found hilarious. So here's another one. Uh, They changed and gave you a little tip. So here's a Christmas tip for you. Uh, Wrap your boxes for presents and then empty boxes. And when your child misbehaves or doesn't listen, throw the present into the fire. And if you run out of empty presents, then it's time to throw your child into the fire as well. Don't condone that second part, but I think it's a great idea. This one was hilarious. I don't know why. I just thought it was so funny. But thank you. Come again. And then just please come again. Like just, just desperate for their thing. Uh, if you've been to CVS recently or, or at all, you'll notice that they're like you buy like two items and their their receipt is like a mile and a half long. So there's this new trend that people are kind of showing the different ways you can utilize the paper without wasting it. So this person uh, created a dog leash. Uh, just an option for you. If you don't have a leash or if it breaks, just go to CVS and maybe buy a quick candy bar. You can have a, a leash there. This one was my favorite. This guy said, stay warm. CVS is giving out free scarves. Thought that was hilarious. And then if you're really desperate, like really desperate, you know what to do. COVID 2.0 type of situation there. You know, I want you to keep in mind this concept of a receipt this morning throughout today's message. Because what a receipt boils down to, it serves as a reminder of something, a transaction that has happened at some point in in the past. And so when you think about a receipt, it kind of has three key components. In one side, there's the item. This is the thing you paid for, the good, the service, the thing that was broken. You bought a new one, the shirt that you didn't have, that you really liked type of deal. It reminds you of what was purchased or received. Then there is the cost. This is the cost. It's predetermined. This is what it takes to receive that item. And then there's, of course, the form of payment, cash, check, Venmo, whatever it may be. And I use this illustration to say as we get near wrapping up our study through 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses chapter 15 as kind of like the receipt, so to speak. He wants to say, of all the things I want you to take home with you, of all the things I've written to you about, of all the conversation we've had, this is what I want you to remember. 
This is the thing that I want you to take to heart. So if you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, in a kind of a reversal of last week, Uh, Last week, chapter 14 covered like all 40-something verses. Today, chapter 15 is 58 verses, and I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to take the first four verses, unpack those as kind of the explanation for this. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn there with me. You can always download our app, follow along. Every week we preach out of this because we believe that the Bible is life-giving. On top of that, if you are a note-taker today, you'll notice on the front part of your note sheet is the opportunity for you to fill in with us as I unpack this text. If you're not a note taker, highly encourage you to to take notes on your phone. You can grab that connect card in front of you, write that down. This is what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 50. Here's the receipt. Here's the thing I want to show you that, that we have dined together, so to speak, over this idea of who Jesus is for us. He says this. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. Verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day also according to the scriptures. So here's kind of what we're going to do today. Is This is a message that, that you might have heard before. If you've been coming to church for some time, or maybe you've been a Christian for, for all your life, so to speak, chances are at some Easter service or multiple Easter services, you've heard uh, a message over 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's kind of we run the risk of not reminding ourselves of what it actually speaks into us. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unpack this uh, for us today in kind of longhand form because of its power for us. So here's what the Apostle Paul starts. He said, now brothers and sisters, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. So he's saying there's this thing called the gospel that I preach to you and I want to remind you of what it is. I want to remind you of what it is. Now this word gospel is a word that means good news. And in order for there to be good news, there also has to be bad news. And the bad news is that there are things like sin and death and separation from God. But the gospel comes and says there's good news in the midst of that bad news. That Jesus died for you, that there is grace and love and wholeness that can be yours if you believe. Now the thing is, I think we've gotten into the habit of believing that the gospel sometimes isn't good news, but we just think of it as good advice. We think of the gospel as something like, okay, well, if you want to have a blessed life, here it is for you. If you want to be more financially secure, here it is. If you want to just have a a better relational dynamics, listen to the gospel. But the thing is, the Apostle Paul is making it abundantly clear that this isn't good advice. It is good news. Because we all enter into this life with the reality that bad news is coming. It's not just good advice. I think sometimes we we hear messages or think, well, the point of God or his gospel is to protect me, keep me safe. Those I love, they shouldn't ever get cancer. The people that I care about should never die before I'm ready. And we think, well, well, that's what the gospel should be. But the gospel doesn't protect you from pain or suffering or hardship. But what it does do is it makes you safe in it. That death is not eternal in this life alone. That suffering is something that Jesus himself is accustomed to. He says, let me remind you of this good 
news. Now, I don't know about you, but I need reminders in life all the time. Like, like there's things that like, I forget to do. People need to remind me. And there's a reason that reminders exist. We don't teach our students math just one time and then say, okay, you, you learned that math. It's up to you to figure it out from here. You've got kids at home. You've got to remind them about nine billion times to put their stinky socks not on the table but in the laundry hamper because they're gross and disgusting. We think about a coach teaching a team new plays. They run those plays over and over and over. That's because reminders are oftentimes acts of love and of mercy and of grace. It's a way of saying, hey, let's get back on track. Let me remind you of the main thing. Let me remind you of what I want you to know. Let me remind you of what we're trying to accomplish. You've lost focus. Let's refocus. Let's get back to the main thing we are trying to accomplish here. And so that's what Paul is saying. Because I want to remind you. I want to get you refocused. I want to refresh your memory of this good news that I preached to you some time ago. And that good news is he says, I preached to you about a man named Jesus who lived, died, rose again. If you repent of your sin, believe in him, you have everlasting life, and it begins to transform you here and now. I told you about the, the debt of sin, eternal life, grace, love, God's purposes. So in some ways, this gospel, when you think of that concept of a receipt, the gospel is the item, if you will. The thing that hopefully you want, that you desire, when you saw the standing of what was, I want something different. I don't have it yet, but I need it. I don't have it yet, but I desire it. That is the, the item, if you will, of this receipt. So Paul then continues. He said, so I preach this gospel to you. And he says, you received it. Some of you. And it kind of has two implications. And he says, some of you have taken your stand on it. So that is this one way to do it. But he goes on to say, but others of you, you have believed in vain. He says, so when somebody preaches to you the gospel... When someone tells you about that good news, there's kind of two options. There's two options here. You can either build your life upon it, take a stand on it, or be forewarned. You might be believing in vain. It gives implications to that church. Uh, some, some, some heard the gospel and they received it and it changed their life. Others heard the gospel and they rejected it. And others still, they received it or so they thought, but they've actually believed in vain. And this word stand, to take stand, might in your translation say something along the lines of to build a foundation on. He says, some of you, you heard that gospel and it changed your life. The entirety of your life has completely reverted to something different because of that good news. You have a new foundation of how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you make decisions, what you value in life. And one of my greatest fears for myself and, and, and for, for all of us here is that we sometimes hear the gospel, we receive it, but we continue to build a foundation on something else. Like, like I hope this is like a safe place. I'm just going to authentically share this for me, just what goes on in my heart and mind as I'm studying reading this text of like, hey, hey, you've received the gospel and you've built your life on, you've taken your stand on that good news. And I have to step back and ask myself, like, Eric, do, do you actually do that? Is your life truly, fundamentally, only built on Jesus? Because it's really hard sometimes when you're a pastor because those two intertwine. Do I actually love Jesus as the foundation of my life, or do I just do it because, you know, it's what pays my bills? 
Is Jesus truly the, the, the one thing, the one foundation of all that I desire in life, or is it because I serve in him, I happen to, to kind of know how to skirt around it? Now, that might not be the same for you. Your, your issue might not be a foundation of, of whether or not the confusion, or, you know, ministry, or whatever. it might be something good, but it's not God. You might say, I've heard the gospel, I've received it, but what I hold closest to me is my job title. I've received the gospel, but I love my family and my kids just a little bit more than Christ. My passions, my skills, my identity, my emotional stability, my side hustle, my friendships, my square footage, my 401k, you name it. I think there's a healthy fear in saying, okay, if you've received the gospel, is it truly the thing you have built your life on or not? You know, I think that's why we read stories about these athletes or these celebrities who after they retire, they have these massive identity crises. For their entire life was built on, on making millions of dollars and people recognizing who they are, literally worshiping them and paying thousands of dollars to watch them throw a football or sing on a stage. And then they retire because they're old and gross and wilty. Just kidding. They just get old. And then they begin to say, wait, hold up. Who am I? Because all of that is gone. The money has gone. The fame has gone. I'm not recognized as I once were. Because they've realized that the foundation of their life was built on maybe a good thing, but it wasn't a God thing. See, there's no other way to put it than simply this, is that that Jesus and his gospel is the only thing that will stand firm into eternity. Eric, that seems a little harsh. That seems a little crazy, a little radical there. Hold your horses. I know you're married and you got kids. Are you saying that, like, that's not going to last into eternity? And here's my answer. I will take a bullet for my wife and kids in a heartbeat. You won't have to think a second chance about it. But give me when I say this. No offense to them. But when the time comes for me to stand before Jesus for all eternity, in his glory, in his majesty, in his awe and wonder that is, I'm not going to care about them anymore. And that's not to say I don't care and love them deeply. There's going to come a time in which I am so overcome, so overwhelmed, so infatuated with Jesus in his presence, in his glory, like never before, and say, I don't want to go anywhere for all eternity. And he's going to say, good, because this is where you, it's you and me together in the entire body of Christ. We are here together to worship because this is what being created is all about. Because the only thing that stands into eternity is Jesus and his gospel. So it begs kind of the question. So Eric, how do I know? How do I know if I'm standing firm or, or, or if I have believed in vain? He goes on to say this. He says, so you're taking, you're taking your stand. By this gospel, right, there it is again. He says, you are saved. Now, the Greek language in which the New Testament is written has this tense called the imperfect tense, and which is like this continuation. And so we read as you've been saved, the real translation would be say, and you are being saved by it. And so I want to take you to, to a little bit of seminary with us this morning. There are three big churchy terms. That's a J. Okay, I'm going to scratch that out. Okay. So one starts with a J, one starts with an S. 
gosh, my handwriting is terrible. One start, that's an S. S, there we go. Okay, and one starts with a G. Okay, here we go. All right. In which the, the gospel message comes in kind of three different components, okay? On the count of three, I want you all to say the word justification with me. One, two, three. Justification. Now, I want you to say uh, the, the, the word that starts with the S on the count of three, which is sanctification. One, two, three. Sanctification. And then there is glorification. So one, two, three. Glorification. Oh, you guys are way smarter than the first service. They didn't get that part. I just, you know, okay. Anyways. What these terms mean, this is kind of how the gospel plays out in your life. There is a moment in which you are saved, you are justified in the eyes of God, your debt is paid, you are atoned. And so the best way to think of this idea of justification, just as if I never sinned, that's the J. The G is the glorification, the time off in the future in which you are with God eternally, worshiping him, you are in glory forever, glorification. And when it comes to the gospel, we really like those two parts, but we don't really care so much about the middle. The sanctification, the process of being saved, the already but not yet, the ways in which we need to be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. We surrender our old ways, our old habits, our own sinfulness, our selfishness, our desires, because we believe in who Jesus has made us to be. When it comes to the gospel, the American church really likes justification, you mean, I get to be with God and I don't have to lift a finger. You mean, I, I don't really have to do a whole lot to at least receive it? I don't have to like earn my way or prove myself worthy or, or read enough Bible verses first in order for it? It's like, no, no, no. It's a gift of grace to God for you to be justified. We really like that part. We also really like the uh, glorification part. And then, yeah, I get to be in heaven someday. I don't have to go to the other place. Yes, yeah, definitely like that. Don't know about that other place. I've heard a lot about it. Sounds kind of lame, so I want to go to the other place, right? I want to go be in heaven one day. But the Christian faith knows no person, disciple, Christian, whatever you want to call it, of who isn't being sanctified, changing, adjusting, going through that metamorphosis of the Spirit. And that's why Paul says, so you want to know if you believe and you've made your stand, or if you are believing in vain, he says, you're being saved, and I kind of drew over it, but it's this word here, if, if, if you hold firmly. Probably the most important word in this entire text is those two letters, if. If you hold firmly. Paul's not making assumptions. He's not saying, well, I know you go to church, so I'm just assuming you're right with God. Well, I know you've given a, a couple dollars here's and there, so I just, you know, he's saying, if. He's like, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at. Jesus. He's making the assumption that there are people who have heard, who have received the gospel message, but they are not holding firmly onto it. Isn't that kind of scary? Isn't that kind of wearisome for some of us? You see, if the item in which we want on this receipt is the gospel, in some ways the holding firmly is the cost. What's it going to cost me in order to belong to Jesus, to hold firm onto that message? To never give it up. Like if we were at my house and I had two toys on the table, let's say one was like a toy from Dollar Tree, and we opened it up and it already broke, 
because they only last like 30 seconds anyways. And then there was this old ratty doll that had been handed down generation after generation generation. And its arm was kind of like dangling and it, the seams were broken and the stuffing was spitting out and, and there was an eye missing because at one point somebody thought it looked like a Cheerio so they bit it off type of deal. And you might walk in and look at both those, those things on the table and say, these are worthless. This is garbage. Why do you even hold on to this? And I might say, okay, yeah, I agree to you about the, the Dollar Tree toy. It's broken already. Let's just get rid of it. I could go get another one, but not this. And I hold up that doll. I don't think you realize what this doll means to me and my family. It wasn't just my doll, my mom's doll, my grand, it was my great-grandmother's toy. It was the only one she had. And the meaning and the significant, we've held on to it in our family. This thing is utterly priceless. And somebody from the outside looking in might say, like, you're kidding me, right? Why don't you go get it fixed? It smells kind of gross. Can we wash it? No, 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 don't touch it. Because of the way that it is. It has immense value because we have not given it up. That's why Paul says, if you hold firmly to Jesus and to his gospel. Because the more you hold on to Jesus, the more he has meaning and value and potency in your life. The Christian who doesn't change or isn't being changed or hasn't changed is an oxymoron. Does not exist. Do you have to be perfect? By no means. But the more you hold tightly to the gospel, it should be radically altering your life because your value changes of things. The more you, you hold firmly, and we're not just talking about you put it in a box in the attic, you know where it is. You take it with you wherever you go. You don't let it out of your sight. Because the more firmly we hold on to Jesus, he changes so many things about us. He changes the way we view ourselves, the way we view our schedule, the way we view our, our sex life, our wallet, our words, our gossip, our view of others who don't look like us, talk like us, vote like us, act like us. He gives us compassion that we don't know where it comes from, the ability to forgive when we don't think we can, and on and on down the line. And I think the greatest threat to genuine, spirit-filled followers of Jesus is the God of comfort. Give me the justification. I look forward to the glorification, but I don't want to have to do anything with it. Well, I said a prayer that one time at camp. 20 years ago, I walked down the aisle. They were playing just as I am. I don't really actually have to give up that sin in my life because grace covers all, and what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to really take it away from me? I don't need to give. I don't need to serve. I don't need to pray, read my Bible, be in community, hold myself accountable to living like Jesus because, like, what? He's going to kick me out of the club. I know how this works. In that moment, the Apostle Paul is saying, that's what gets you started. You don't got to do anything to start it. But you're clearly not holding firm to the value that is knowing him, being with him, living in his presence. So that's why he says, if you've received it but you're not holding firm, he says, you believed in vain. To believe in vain is to know Jesus, to know the gospel and turn your back on him. It's probably the most dangerous place in faith is to be convinced that you are holding firm when you are not. Like the scariest thing for us as, as disciples and as Christians 
should not be that we, that we miss out on things in this life for the sake of heaven. And we do that sometimes. Well, that's for like the, the, the varsity Christians. That's for those who want to go above and beyond, get the little extra credit, the extra jewels in their crown of heaven. They're the ones who can kind of do all of that stuff. But we're, we're good. I just want to get in. I just want to slide in the back door type of situation. We shouldn't be afraid of that. We should be afraid of missing out on heaven for the sake of things in this life. Because we have forgotten to hold firm because we've believed in vain, because we refuse to let sanctification do its work. If it's been a while since the gospel, the spirit of Jesus has changed you, convicted you to the point of doing something, made you aware of sin that you need to confess, made a change in the way you live your life, challenged your bank account, your job, a relationship, an identity crisis you're having. If it's been a while since Jesus has done that, don't shoot the messenger here. It could be that you've believed in vain. Paul says you're not holding firmly. It doesn't really have any value to you. That's why you don't take it seriously. So you don't hunger and thirst for the spirit or his word. That's why when the songs come on, you stick your hands in your pockets and sing. Definitely not raising my hands either. Because we don't hold tightly to things in this life that don't mean anything to us. Anything that you hold, like imagine you're downtown. And you got your family close, your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, spouse, whatever it is. And you're about to walk across the street and you see a car coming, you pull them back. And our instinct is like to hold them tight, right? To hold on to them. It's like, oh my gosh, I almost just lost you. And in that moment, even for just a moment, we'll realize somebody can have my wallet, somebody can have my home, somebody can have everything I own. But this loved one, I am not letting go of you because I almost lost you because it's the most valuable thing to us. And I think the fear for me, I've been there before, is I go through life and faith not holding firmly to Jesus. And Paul's like, why does he not mean the most to you? Because if you're not holding firmly to Jesus and the gospel and the things of him, it's just simply not valuable to you. So what does it cost? When we think about the receipt of the resurrection, the item we want is the gospel. What it costs is that we hold firmly to it. Well, like not like we put a leash on it, not that we put it somewhere where we think we can remember it. It's like we are bear-hugging, vice-grip, lock it in a cage and dragging it around with you because you don't want to lose sight of it is what Paul is saying. That's what it means to hold firmly to Jesus. And when you hold tightly to something, so tightly, you can't hold on to anything else because you're fixated saying, this is, I can't lose this. This is it. This is it. I can't lose anything else. Good things may come and go. Good things may get their way in, but I'm not losing hold of this. And so it begs the question then next. Where? It's a lot. Who's going to pick up that tab? I haven't done that. I can't do that. I can't in my own strength, my own power. Who's going to pick up the tab? Who's going to make the payment? Because I don't have enough in me to do that. 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Verses 3 and 4 is what Paul says next. He says, so again, what I received to you, that gospel message, I passed it on to you, as I said, because of the first importance. That's why we hold tightly. And he says, so here's where the payment comes from. He says, number one, that Christ died. For what? Number two, our sins. In accordance to number three, the scriptures. So that he was buried because he died. We know that happens. He is four, raised from the grave. If the item is the gospel, if the payment is holding firmly, or sorry, if the cost is holding firmly, this is the payment. These four components of Jesus, the first importance, Christ died for your sin according to the scripture, and he was raised to show power over it. Romans chapter 3, for the wages of sin is death, not to make it too gory. Somebody's blood has to spill for our sin, and there's two options. It's yours or his. And when, when, when Paul is talking about the scriptures here, He's talking about how all of Scripture, but specifically the Old Testament, paints this picture, right? Because this is, you know, 100 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the New Testament is just getting written at this point. And he says the the Scriptures, even the Old Testament, painted this beautiful mosaic that there's going to be somebody who pays the price for you. The sacrificial system back then, like when you, when you need to make restitution with God, you would take an animal and they would sacrifice it and as a representation to say that somebody else has taken my place. And all of scripture says that this is what it's always been about. It's about you being with God. God started by, by picking the 12 tribes of Israel. You're going to be my people. You're going to be my representation. Oh, boy, you guys messed it up. <laughs> And then Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to call 12 disciples. And they will walk with me and they will carry this message to the ends of the earth. The people of Israel, they walk around the desert for 40 years because they gave into temptation. They wanted to be like the world. They couldn't remain strong. Jesus comes onto the scene and says, I'm going to do 40 days in the desert. And Satan's going to tempt me every which way, but I'm not going to give in so that I can say that when you face hardship, when you face trial, when you go through temptation or suffering, I know what it's like. And because I overcame, you can too. You go to stories like Jonah. We all love the story of Jonah. There's a prophet. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them that I love them. No, I don't want to. They're stinky and they're smelly. And they don't love you like I want them to love you, so I don't think they're worth it. And God says, fine. You're going to run away, get swallowed by a big fish, lives in the fish for three days, kind of gross, gets spat back out. He's like, fine, I'll go, goes, and he preaches to them reluctantly, and they receive it with joy. Jesus comes onto the scene. I know there's an entire world of people who don't earn my love, deserve my love, are worthy of it, and I'm going to give it to them anyways. And I'm going to die on the cross, go to the grave, raise three days later to complete that message of hope. Every single story paints the picture that God wants to be with us. Not just to zap you up into heaven to get out of this place, but that you have a new way of life if you hold firmly. So the item is the gospel. If the cost is to hold firmly, 
the payment's been made, at the bottom of every receipt, there's this one little phrase, three simple words that always gets written down to some degree or another. And it's that phrase, those words, paid in full. There's no outstanding debt. I know what you wanted. You understood the cost. Somebody picked up the tab for you. Paid in full. You don't have to worry. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to think. Hold tightly to that receipt. Don't lose it. Paid in full. It's because the receipt of the resurrection is complete. Because Jesus is risen. And that is the gospel that Paul wants to remind us all of. I want to read this quote by J.D. Greer as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. He says this, he says, Salvation is not a prayer that you pray one time at a ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain it for the rest of your life. The answer is relatively simple in that moment. Keep believing the gospel. Keep your hand on the head of Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel at any given moment, how encouraged or discouraged you feel about your spiritual progress, how hot or cold your love for Jesus, what you should be doing is always the same. And he says, resting in the gospel. So I ask you this morning, what is your receipt of the resurrection Maybe you're going to reach in your pocket, pull out a receipt of the resurrection. Would you have one? Would it be filled out with all those components? Does it have a date stamped on there? Say, this is when it became paid in full. Do you have that receipt to say, I understand what life I have in store for me. I understand what it costs. And I am so grateful that Jesus paid the price because I know I can't. And that this receipt that we have in the resurrected, risen Savior has power. Has the power to overcome sin. It doesn't cost us a thing, but we get to hold on to it. It's how we can cast aside our accusers. It's how we can kick sin to the curb and live a life, have a new identity, be completely changed forever. I think what some of us do is, is, is we lose track of this receipt. Well, I heard about it, I got it that one time, and you kind of crumple up and put it in your pocket, and some say, well, well, tell me about who Jesus is. You tell me about what he's doing in your life. Oh, where did I put that receipt? Did I, oh, hold on, did, is, is it back? Is it, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, he's good and cool, and I get to go to heaven someday. It's great. Yeah, you want in? And what Paul is saying, that's why you, you hold firmly to what he's done. You do not lose sight. And here's why I think so many of us need to remember, to be reminded to hold firmly to it is because there's going to be lies and Satan's going to try to get into your mind and say, you're not worthy. How could, how could God ever love somebody like you? After all that you've done, after the choices you've made, after the things that you've chased after your selfishness and you've just kind of pretended along the way, you know what, you're not even worthy of his love. Are you sure? And you get to pull out that receipt and say, you know what it says? It says paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. Yeah, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But it is paid in full. My eternity, my life, my foundation, paid in full. And you're just too tainted 
You just do the same thing over and over again. You can't kick that habit to the curb. Who do you think you are? Do you really think God wants anything to do with you? You pull out that receipt. My receipt says otherwise. My receipt says there's a different life. My receipt says I have a new identity in Christ. My receipt says paid in full. Paid in full. You're just a poser. You've just been playing the church thing for for a while. You just know how to put on the right mask and the right face and walk in and say all the right things. But come on, let's be honest. When you go home, you know what you do. You know how you spend your time. You know what you do with your money. You really think, you really think, you might be fooling droves of people. You really think you're fooling God though? And that's when you pull out your receipt. Paid in full. Paid in full. You might have believed in vain, but you can pull out that receipt and say, paid in full. And I'm going to hold firmly to this like never before because I believe in that cost. I believe in that power. I believe in that future glory. My receipt of the resurrection, I will not lose sight of this again. I will hold firmly. I will build my life upon it because it's been paid in full. For some of you this morning, it's the chance for you to have a date stamped onto that receipt. Paid in full. Your sin is taken care of. Your shame is gone. Your new life begins today. Others of us, it's the reminder. Where is your receipt? Do you know where it is? Do you hold firmly to it? Or have you cast it aside? But we're all in the same place to remember paid in full. And that's what communion is is a representation for us this morning. Jesus' blood and the juice, Jesus' body broken in the cracker to say, paid in full. Welcome to the family. Let's hold tight. Let me pray as we continue to worship this morning. Jesus, thank you that you've made a payment in full on our behalf. May we hold firmly to that receipt of your beautiful resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen.